Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend or colleague about it and help spread the word. If you want to also search for other episodes or learn about some of the other resources that are available to you, head over to theconsumervc.com. My guests today are Didi Dash and Joe Hovde from Circle Up. Circle Up Growth Partners is an early stage consumer fund that takes a data-driven approach investing in compelling companies. Aditi is one of the investment partners and Joe is one of the data analysts. This is a fascinating conversation about building a database for private markets and using the database as a tool to help make investment decisions and discover trends in CPG. Without further ado, here's Aditi and Joe. Aditi and Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Great. I'm good. I am also good. Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. Oh, it's great. I'm super excited to have you both on. So let's start at the beginning. What was each of your attraction to working in consumer brands and also the private markets? Yeah, I will start. So my interest in working with consumer brands goes back to where I'm from. So I was born in the coal mining capital of India and moved to the U.S. when I was eight. And one thing that I have noticed is just the dramatic change in people's lives, especially through the lens of consumer products. And I have been fascinated by consumer behavior for as long as I can remember. Why do people do things they do? Why do they shop for what they shop for? Why do they buy this or that? How do they spend their time, money, and energy? And so it it just draws me to investing in consumer behavior. And since that time, I've tried to tackle it in a few different ways. Initially, I was on the investment banking side, then I moved to the growth equity side, then I got some operating experience at companies like Blue Apron and La Colombe Coffee before coming back to investing at Circle Up in early stage consumer brands. Yeah, and uh, my background is, I guess I share Aditi's interest in consumer behavior. So I always thought that was kind of fascinating to understand the psychology of why people pick the things they pick and and why people are willing to pay more for certain things when it seems like they shouldn't. So I kind of studied that. I studied behavioral economics in school. But yeah, I just, I I like the data side of it. So it kind of seemed natural to go into like the CPG data industry and, and analyze like consumer behavior in terms of like shopper data. So that's been kind of my career path has been focusing on, you know, analyzing data, be it for brands or for retailers or now for investors at Circle Up. And then the private markets, I think is just fun because it's like, kind of feels like it's the playbook still being written. It feels like a little bit, you know, like people are kind of making it up as they go along, which I think is exciting to me to be a part of. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's always interesting and always fascinating, you know, trying to understand why people buy or why people behave the way they do, right? Right. So I totally, totally get that. And I also agree with your sentiments, Joe, as well, in terms of the private markets, how it's just a bit more fun and interesting. You maybe don't have that data transparency like you do in the public markets. And so it's a bit more, I don't know, it just feels like a bit more creative in in some ways. So for those that aren't familiar, do you mind walking us through a little bit of the history of Circle Up? Yeah, I can tackle this one. CircleUp was originally founded as a platform to connect founders and consumer brands with sources of capital. The company was started in 2012, and initially brands were coming to Circle Up and creating a profile and raising money. That profile would be shared with a number of other investors, and they would invest into the brand. So we were a middleman. Over time, we realized that there is a lot of opportunity in investing directly 
in the brands themselves. And we started building a data platform that is called Helio Today that has its roots in the marketplace days, but today is a separate uh, beast. And we rely on this data platform to find investments and make investments. So the fund that Joe and I work at, it is a $125 million fund that was raised in late 2017 and has been investing directly in consumer brands since that time. The fund usually writes checks between one to five million in companies that are generating between one to 20 million in sales. It's helpful. It's really helpful. And I'd love to learn a bit more about Helio and how has the platform helped you make investment decisions? Yeah, I am happy to talk about Helio and how it helps. And then Joe has a couple of cool examples of how we've used it more recently, not just in finding investments, but also in highlighting some of our exits. So in terms of Helio, the platform itself it's most useful to me in two ways. One is in finding brands. So there are so many CPG brands out there. It's just impossible to keep up with all of them. And what Helio does is helps us narrow down that massive universe to the subset of companies that are a fit for a potential circle up investment. So if I'm interested in sleep, for example, and I say, hey, I want to invest in a company that does products related to sleep. What I can do with Helio is use that terminology to find a list of companies that fit our investment criteria and establish relationships with those companies and hopefully ideally make an investment. Yeah. And then I, I guess my piece ties back a little bit into maybe the history of Circle Up. But when I joined, I kind of thought of Circle Up as doing to, to private markets what like quant investing had done to public markets. And so the lens I take to Helio is like, how can we put structure on all this private market data such that we can like make sense of it in a way that helps us predict how valuable companies are in the private markets in a similar way that that quant investors did in like the 80s and 90s in public markets. And so to me, I think Helio and what we're working towards Helio being is, is helping us helping us do that, like helping us understand what are the most valuable companies so that, you know, a DD and our other investment partners can can build relationships with them and invest in them. And so structuring all this information that helps us understand what valuable means in the, in the private markets, that's what I think of Helio as at kind of a basic level. I love that. I mean, one of the things that I'm also intrigued about, just a DD to your point about being able to find and research companies, because because yeah, there's so many consumer brands out there. I had on another investor, he talked about how he's much more of a hunter than a gatherer, that he and his team do a lot more kind of outbound to look at investable opportunities or just interviewing companies that that's not interesting. Is that fair to say for Circle Up, since you're able to find compelling companies on Helio, it's more so you're actually reaching out to companies themselves or do you also have companies reach out to you? Look, it's always a cycle. As investor reaches out to more companies and gets known in the industry, they also get more inbound. So I do outbound, I get inbound. Neither thing is bad or good. It's just a function of what the day brings. Maybe that's a day where I happen to be on a panel with someone, or maybe that's a day where I send a bunch of emails. So I think that in terms of how we think about it, we are hunters and that's how we describe ourselves, but we try to hunt in very fertile areas. And we try to use Helio to make sure that we're hunting in areas that make the most sense for us as an investment firm. That makes a lot of sense. So since you do quite a bit of outreach on your part, do you also experience companies that you might find compelling or interesting, but just aren't fundraising at that moment? 
all the time. Yes. <laughs> okay. So sometimes it feels like the best companies are not raising. And so it's important to build an ecosystem and build, in my opinion, a platform that provides those companies more than just capital. Capital is no longer a differentiator in the world of investing. So data, I think, is, and there's other things that are, but just capital showing up with the highest amount of money isn't going to necessarily win deals anymore. No, that makes less sense because, I mean, as you say, there's just so much money right now, especially in the private markets. What are some of the, maybe the other ways you're able to leverage data? So in my mind, it, it comes down to sort of using data to hunt, as you as you called it, so like finding companies and finding trends that are interesting to proactively like go out and look for new investments. There's also find it, like using data to evaluate. So if a company, for example, like emails us after listening to this podcast, we would use Helio to understand you know, the fundamentals of that company and, and do our best to see how exciting an investment opportunity it is. And then also what Aditi touched on, but kind of using data as a value add to companies, be it, you know, after they're part of our portfolio already and helping them kind of use data and form strategy while we're building a relationship with them, kind of sharing data and insights with them to help them think through their business. Yeah. And a couple of concrete examples of my personal experience in the last several years. One is company comes to me and says, hey, we're trying to expand into a new retailer. How should I think about everything from price point to distribution to competitors in that retailer. Two is, hey, which geography are we doing well in? Or which geography are we not doing well in, but our competitors are doing well in? Thinking about white space geographically and retailer-wise. Three is, hey, what else are our consumers buying? Like, are, are there unique partnership angles here? So there are some brands where you may not think that somebody who buys makeup is also buying Legos, but actually there are a lot of similarities between those types of buyers and perhaps some unique ways to partner with two very seemingly different brands. Wow, that's really interesting and not something that I've actually talked or touched on this podcast before in terms of the actual partnership opportunities or insights that you've learned and how that can help just think about really opportunity. So that's really cool. So what's the relationship between data and as well as your decision-making process? Maybe you've come across an interesting company, but how do you think about the founding team and this kind of maybe balancing act towards team and also data? So to bring it down to a day-to-day, -day, I will start by saying if there's a company I really like and I want to invest in it, I go to Joe and I say, Joe, I really want to make this investment and I need your help answering these questions using data. And so we will usually target specific questions. And I think you probably know this, but the data often is only as good as the question you ask. So it's really important to make sure that we say, hey, let's define the question instead of saying, Joe, I just need data. So I try to get to the point of saying, hey, our committee is struggling with is struggling with X. Is there any data that can help prove or disprove fact? Or I say my thesis is Y. Can you help me, you know, figure out if that resonates or not? So those are specific ways of how I try to interact with Joe and his team. It's not perfect. And I think, you know, we're, we're trying to get better at it. But I'd love to hear the, the perspective from Joe, too, on how we interact with each other. And then we can go into the team stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think my perspective is that there is a baseline of how well a company has to be doing in terms of kind of basic metrics. Like it has to be showing growth 
across kind of some obvious metrics that you can probably think of in terms of financials and and maybe social data and things like that and has to be you know look exciting in that sense and so that's like i think this threshold that most of the time we don't really look at companies that aren't exhibiting those characteristics but then going like the level deeper and and doing some of the things that Aditi was talking about like that's where i think circle up is differentiated and like that's kind of the hard part about it is like answering a question like okay is this product actually solving a, a problem that customers really care about and like doing it in a differentiated way? Like that's like a lot harder to kind of put into an easy metric, but is actually a lot more valuable if you can kind of quantify it in some way. And so that's like, that's where I think most of the value comes from that that circle up brings that like, you know, some like Google trends can't give you, for example, and that's kind of the benchmark I think about it as, but yeah, it's like very much a partnership of like Aditi and the other investment partners judgment and like their intuition about what matters for an investment and like what is going to move the needle for the investment committee. And then like using our data to give those questions structure in some way and like supplement their thinking with something kind of more quantifiable. I think that's what we're trying to do. So yeah, that's, that's my perspective on it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's really helpful. And then I'd love to also just talk about, do you also maybe use data, not as like a catch me per se, but more so that the founder's story and making sure they actually understand the data as well that's in their business, making sure that kind of there's some alignment there. Yeah. If the founder isn't able to talk about their own numbers and their own data in a cohesive way, that's always a red flag. And honestly, sometimes like sometimes the data that we look for, the founders are early. So they're just starting to think about it. So sometimes it's like a partnership of, hey, like, hey, here's what we need. And the founders say, okay, well, this is what we have. This is what we don't have. And the better the founding team, the faster they are at responding to that, incorporating that if they want to partner with us. And it just is a signal of, hey, like we get the importance of data because we want to partner with founders that have that same viewpoint of, hey, like we're very into data and it might not manifest in the same way that it is for Circle Up, but we want to use that to grow our business. That's great. That's great. And so I'd love to also just kind of dive in deeper as well with you on how you actually analyze the founding team. And also as well, if there are parts of the data that if they don't have a certain element, maybe, I don't know, like gross margins aren't where they need to be, for example, in order for you to find a compelling or there's some sort of metrics that really stand out and are more important than others. I'd love to also just break that down too. Yeah, I guess I can start on kind of the second point because I think Aditi will be better talking about kind of the teams, the founding teams. So it's category dependent and then also kind of market dependent in terms of what metrics matter the most. So I think like this past year, as there's been like so much craziness, I think there's been more emphasis on gross margin, for example, as a metric we're like a little bit stickier on or, or kind of pay more attention to in terms of having less flexibility in the investment process. But yeah, again, it's like depends on the category and the markets. I think distribution growth is something we'll always care a lot about and are excited to see when a company is kind of growing the number of stores it's in quickly. Again, I think these can be like, and something like the team comes into play is like these can be like supplemented by human judgment in the team. So if like a company has kind of lower gross margin than we're comfortable with, but like has a really good founding team or just brought on a president who, you know, was at General Mills or something. And, and like, there's this line of sight to improving that gross margin. I think like that can kind of give us comfort that the data is going to improve. So those two pieces of it go hand in hand in my mind, like the team can very much like influence the way we view the metrics. I'd be curious to hear what you think about that though, Didi. Yeah, Joe, I think you nailed it. That's definitely accurate. And taking the team thing one step 
further, it's the hardest thing for me to quantify. So we do have a team score that we put in all of our materials and we score, you know, the management on a scale of uh, one to 10. And we say, hey, this is a strong team at 10 and a team that needs improvement at one. So we are trying to standardize some of the team stuff. I've also debated doing interviews or having founders do surveys or having founders fill out a personality profile to see how they fit into the broader ecosystem of founders. And like, that's not something that we've implemented yet, but it's something I think about a lot because there have to be characteristics that tie some of these folks together. My belief is that the founders that I have ended up really liking partnering with and getting to know, they share this trait of seeking. Like they're always seeking ways to better themselves, their families, their companies. They're always have this mindset of, hey, what could I be doing to get better? And so that mindset is something I look for in the team or the leader, just like a constant improvement mindset and growth mindset, as people call it. But it's really, really hard to quantify because we have met founders where they're just absolutely exhausted and then something happens and it changes the way they want to build the business and they end up growing it to 80 million in sales or founders that are on a total high and like then something happens and the business goes to zero. So I don't have a good answer for you, but that's what I try to look for. No, and that's, it reminds me of maybe a similar approach to Maveron. I've had on three investors from Maveron and they said they also have kind of a scorecard, if that's fair to say. But what was interesting about their insight is they have a few different categories per se. And it's not their original thinking behind it was with founders that maybe might be pretty good in all the categories. But what they've realized is that it's the founders that are actually exceptional at a couple or two or three categories, maybe not be so great at a couple others, but it's the one that, that are just incredible at at a couple of different categories on the, on the scorecard, those are the ones that they find they get more excited about investing in. And so anyway, I always think it's just interesting how different investors think about these types of things because I agree with you, Didi. It's really, really hard to quantify what a great founding team is, right? It's very, very hard. I remember when we spoke last, we talked a little bit about how like the platform has also helped discover new trends. I'd love to just, if you happen to have a couple of examples of how that's happened, I'm just pretty curious about it. Yeah. So the trend stuff, I think it's a work in progress. But what I try to do on using Helio is just try to find interesting companies that are spiking that fit certain criteria or fit certain interesting areas of growth. And so we're constantly looking for attributes that are growing. And there's different attributes that are growing in different categories. So if you think about beverage, or if you think about beauty, or you think about skincare or hair care, different things are spiking. And looking for those attributes, so specific terms that are spiking can help identify interesting trends. And and so on the product side, if you look for attributes that are growing, you see in the skincare world that attributes like anti-aging are growing. There's an attribute for glass skin that is growing, which is a trend of like really kind of glowy skin. There's an attribute for simplicity that is growing, which is leading to a lot of brands that are being founded as like two-in-one products or products that do more for you and more for your body. There's a lot happening in the world of supplements and sleep. So if you go into sleep more broadly, you can find companies that are tackling sleep 
sleep from physical products or skincare sleep or humidifiers that are targeting sleep and beauty. So you can really fall down a rabbit hole, but those are some that come to mind. Joe, I feel like you have even broader exposure. So would love to hear what you've discovered lately. Yeah. And so my thought on this is like, it's really hard to surface trends that like our team of investors hasn't heard of because we have like, I guess at this point, maybe eight kind of full-time, like very hardworking investors who are immersed in consumer all day, every day. And so I think it's very hard to beat humans in that respect in terms of like surfacing new trends. But what we can do pretty well is like see how trends are developing and like understand what their trajectory might look like. So like we recently looked at nootropics and uh, kind of compare that to adapt adaptogens and like we're looking at kind of understanding how those trends are developing and and comparing them to like understand just what a company who was investing in one of those areas, what their growth trajectory might look like. So I think our data is very good for that. I will say I learn a lot of trends that are new to me because I'm not as immersed day to day talking to companies and talking to other investors as as Aditi is. But yeah, I think I've found our data to be very good at like understanding where trends are and where they're where they might be going, but not as good at like surfacing what's going to be big next year in skincare. I think that's still pretty difficult for the machine to beat the humans at in my mind. I was going to say, it was one of the interesting things that Joe and I discovered in the nootropics versus adaptogens research was that nootropics is actually a bigger topic and adaptogens is based on uh, analysis that we did in terms of like how widespread this topic is, but it's historically been associated with things like psychedelics and adaptogens is a smaller topic, but it's growing faster and seeing a lot of growth in non-food cases. So as we think about interesting, you know, what that means for brands, there could be an interesting brand that comes up in the nootropic space and focuses more on nootropics rather than adaptogens that is able to translate what nootropics means for the customer that's heard of it in different contexts. Wow, that's really interesting. I love how you're able to use data or also to rely on Helio to develop new trends. But I do also agree with you that talking to founders every day, seeing what they're building maybe on the ground floor, that it's hard to also replace that with a database. But I think I get a glimpse in understanding the relationship between those two things, which is cool. It's also hard sometimes to overcome our existing views on something. So when I was looking deep into the skincare category last year, one of the words that just was going crazy was mask. And mask was a big trend, even pre-COVID, you know, like face masks and things like that. But we haven't really seen a brand that's been built off of just masks. And so as we look for that repeat purchase behavior and we're seeing the data, we also have to say, hey, what do we know about masks and what do we have to believe about masks for a brand to be built off of this if this is a growing attribute? I think that's a good summary. Yeah, that like takes on top of that, you have to layer on like the investment judgment of like, okay, do we think, you know, the addressable market for masks is big enough to like have a big meaningful exit? And so, yeah, like you said, I think it's, it's hard to, to encapsulate all of that in a database. And I, I think hopefully we're getting closer to it, but definitely still a ton of value from the investment professionals on the kind of on the human side. Mike, have you ever tried a bro mask? I have not. I have not tried a bro mask, no. Joe, have you tried one? I don't think it was actually a bro mask. It was just a mask, but I have done masks twice, I think. It's very pleasant. I liked it a lot. I'm very into it. Uh, It's very self-care oriented. Aditi loves (laughs) self-care. I do. I will have to try. I'm getting more. I've now started doing just like a facial cream, to be honest. So I'm I'm kind of easing my way into personal care for sure. Yeah, I think that's, I've heard from skincare formulators that 
there's two gateway products for men to get into skincare. One is a facial cream and two is an under eye cream. Interesting. I haven't explored the under eye cream yet. It's funny because you're all investors in Art of Sport, right? Yeah. So I had Matias on the show and then he sent me as a thank you, his facial cream, the artist for facial cream. So that's actually how I got into it, to be honest. So um, by the way, I mean, I mean, shout out to them. They're doing incredible stuff. They sent me so many products. It's actually kind of crazy. So now I've, I use all their deodorants and what have you. So what's one thing you would change about venture capital? This actually, this goes back to something Aditi said earlier, though. I think it's very difficult in terms of the illiquidity and like a lot of times the best brands aren't raising. A lot of times brands that want capital maybe can't get capital. And so like bridging that gap is really exciting to me and things like secondary markets and like having kind of increased liquidity in the private markets, maybe crowdfunding too, is like an interesting avenue, but like anything that can kind of decrease the transaction cost of capital moving from investor into company, I think is really exciting and and something that will help kind of all participants in private markets. So in kind of explaining what I would change, there's a phrase that I think about that people say, they say actions matter more than words. And sometimes it feels like words matter more than action in terms of which companies necessarily get funded. So if I had to pick one thing to change, I would love for us to drive towards a world in which the actions are what drive the amount of money a company raises and how successful a company is. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree with both your points. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's not only uh, talking the talk, but also walking the walk, right? So yeah. So what's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? I went through my Audible before this. So (laughs) professionally, this one I thought was very inspiring and, and very kind of in keeping with what we've talked about today, but it's called The Man Who Solved the Markets. And it's about kind of the founding of Renaissance Technologies and the quant kind of revolution on Wall Street and just super fascinating story and, and like really interesting to see how quantitative techniques could be applied to public markets. And then I, I kind of took a lot of that and like incorporated it into my thinking for what we're doing at Circle Up. So that was professionally really inspiring. And then personally, the book Just Kids by Patti Smith is a very inspiring book about Patti Smith, who kind of this artist and punk rock icon who moved to New York, like with nothing at age 20 or something and just like grew up in New York and did all these really cool things. It's a great book, great on audiobook too actually she reads it and it's uh wonderful to listen to yeah i'll certainly have to check out just kids i haven't read it and also the band who solved the market that sounds really interesting too aditi how about you yes <laughs> okay so on the professional side my favorite business book is this book called the goal and it is a book that is uh, kind of an old book here it is and what i love about it is that it's written like a novel actually it's a story about a guy who's put into a unique business situation and so it's very very easy reading and it simplifies a lot of what i think is complicated in business today and one of the takeaways is business is about making money and so let's focus on only actions that make money and very very great way of hitting home how some actions that we take as employees or as owners may not necessarily be linked to making money and how easy it is to fall along a path that doesn't. So I, it's like my favorite business book 
And then in terms of personal books, there's one that I love that's called Why Buddhism is True. And this is a book that is just helpful in making mindfulness and the practice of being in the moment part of my daily life. So that's that's been a really good one. That's great. That's great. I haven't read either of these either. And I don't think anyone's actually brought up on the podcast either of all four of these books. So I'm really excited to add to our book list. We are both super original by providing it. So hats off to you both. And yeah, I mean, the goal sounds really interesting. And why Buddhism is true. That sounds as a personal book. That sounds really fascinating too. Joe loves it too. He just told me. I liked why Buddhism is true. Yes. Aditi, we'll debrief on that after. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. So what's the best piece of advice that each of you have received? Oh, I know the best for me. Actually, my mom told me that books are your friends. And it was a piece of advice that she gave me when we first moved to the States and I was just like, wasn't fitting in. And so she said, hey, here's a book. This book is your new best friend. And it kind of helped me just get lost in stories and get lost in different worlds and just step away from the fray. And so one thing that I've always been able to do or been forced to do is be as comfortable in the crowd as as I am beside it watching it and so I think it comes down to getting that piece of advice of hey you don't have to have you know friends necessarily (laughs) you can find them in different places Okay, maybe there's a way to say that without making me sound like a total loser, but No, no, you're totally good. It makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, you can also carve out, you know, your own happiness as well, you know, being absorbed in a book and being absorbed in the story. And yeah, no, I totally get that. My wife would actually totally resonate with that too. She reads like 125 books a year. And so she's like a a massive reader. And so it makes sense how you say it anyway. And how about you, Joe? Okay. Mine is from my grandpa's email signature. And I think of, I think of him as a very wise person. So it's be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle of which you know nothing, which I think is a a good thing to remember. And is like an easy thing to forget, but good advice. I love that too. I love that too. Yeah. That's a great, great piece of advice. But you know, the answer I always give other people is the best piece of advice I ever got is to not listen to most advice. That is good advice. Actually. I like that. That is good. That is good. And keep on reading. Yeah. Maybe put that second one in there, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 We'll use the second one. I still think that that your first one was great though. I really do. The final question for you both is what's one piece of advice that you have for founders? I can go. I think Aditi's will be more insightful because she spends a lot more time with founders than I do. But I think from what I've observed, the piece of advice I would have is like kind of think foremost for yourself and don't try to follow like a playbook. I think for most of these things, like most people don't really know what you know, what the best thing is for your company. So like try to think from first principles and think for yourself and do what makes sense for you and and your business. Yeah, I I actually, I almost have the opposite advice, which is kind of funny for founders. And my advice is to learn to play the game. And so if there is something that like, if you want to raise money, there's a couple things that you need to do. Go do those things. Or if you want to get big on TikTok, learn to play the game. That's what I would say. Oh, caveat, Aditi actually has the power to like give people money and I don't. So her advice is a lot (laughs) weightier here. (laughs) I don't know. I don't actually know if it is because maybe I am just perpetrating the game. 
something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is uh, surely something to think about. But that also makes a lot of sense. I think it's also, you know, I guess it's really understanding the medium of where you want to play and how to play it with your TikTok example and also raising capital, which I know we talk about a lot of this show, but you know, also having a system, everyone kind of has a system in terms of raising capital too. And yeah, and I guess learn from your peers as well that have done it before. So you can understand the game. Great. Well, Aditi and Joe, this has been tremendous. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Mike, thank you for having us. This was fun. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thanks very much. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure having Aditi and Joe on the show. I highly recommend following Aditi on Twitter at Aditi underscore SF and Joe at jhovdi2121, both located in the show notes. You're also welcome to follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks. 